before we start today, uh, this class is being dedicated by uh, Nancy Fieber, who is uh, a donor of the Joshua Chal and very good friend of insurance, um, in honor of the birth date of her father, David Ben Matsi. And I'm just going to read you a little bit about him. Okay, so I'm going to say that they sent. So she said he was beloved, not just because he was my father, but because of the kind of person who he was. One of six children born and brought up in Trenton, Pennsylvania, he was raised with values that resound with us all today. His father was also born in Scranton. At the age of 17, while on a graduation trip with his mother to visit their European family, he saw for the first time a real yeshiva and decided then that he would stay on in Romania. He stayed in a home store for a few years, married a young woman there, and made it back safe to the shores of America just days before World War I broke out. He created a dry goods wholesale business, which was the base of the business he brought his three sons in to join. She said they worked together till my grandfather retired to learn full time when he was 60 years old. He moved to Israel some years later, learning all day until he died at 93. My father always spoke very fondly of his early days, describing to us a happy home where his unusually wise mother managed to raise six children who loved each deeply and were devoted children. They were the only ones of their largest extended family that were true Shomi Shabbos and Mitzvot, and their parents never allowed them to eat in the homes of their relatives. They played with them, but their relationships were limited. They went to public school till the afternoon and then walked daily to the Talmud Torah where, they lit, uh, where the local Malamid taught them. The highlight for them, though, was learning with their father, Shabbos afternoon. There was no excuses allowed for this time slot. While their friends played, they sat. Not always easy, but in those days, kids didn't complain. Or if they did, no, no one listened. Okay, there was a house they passed on the way to the shul, and their mother told them they were not allowed to look at it. It wasn't a good place. Though tempted many times, my father claims he never dared to look, though one of his brothers peeked once. Such were the restraints placed on them, but there was a good balance, and they had lots of fun too, sledding being one of the joys. One we continue with our own grandkids. Their home is the address for Mishulachim um, who came to town. We often heard about them giving up their beds to visitors and having guests to eat a constant. Um, many years later, when my grandmother suffered a severe stroke, they were all gathered around for the state of final goodbye. She suddenly awoke and most unexpectedly spoke. She described that while she was asleep, she saw a parade of faces and she recognized the Mishurachim who had come to stay with them. She credited them with bringing her back to life and lived an additional 20 years. My father left Scranton to attend NYU in New York where he became an accountant. He served in the US Army in the Intelligence Department, married my mother and had four children. He worked with his two brothers for 50 years. When they asked um, after they all retired, how they managed to work together all those years, he told us that they had decided between them that there was very little um, that very little was worth fighting over. If one of them felt strongly about something and the others didn't, they would go along with him. If there was a difference of opinion, the third would settle it. They ate lunch together, dominating the same shul, lived within three blocks of each other for most of their life. They were tired, bought apartments in Miami next door, the same building, and despite real differences in personalities, enjoyed little more than being together with their three sisters and spouses. My father was a bubble alpha gentleman, solid citizen. He did the right thing and was a person one could always count on. He had an unusually common Sense. This came in very handy while he was a Gabai in Shul for many years. When he passed away, the Gabai in Shul, who had taken over for him, bemoaned that they would have no one to consult with in those difficult cases when serious diplomacy was needed. That was what he did well. Never one to offend, he always tried to find a reasonable solution, one that would avoid hurting anyone. The day he died was to be his first as a member of the Gentleman's Cola in Riverdale, New York, where he had moved three weeks earlier to live nearer to two of his children and three grandchildren. 
His unusual friendliness and warmth brought many people to the Shiva, although many had just met him. He had already made an impression in that short time. The community of Scranton, where he lived for 89 years, served as an active member of every community school, shore, etc., still speak of how he's met. A 13-year-old neighbor asked if he could speak at the funeral as a good friend, and so it was with all who knew him. He left us an unusual level of many very wonderful qualities to emulate. All lived with no fanfare, no drama, just decency, integrity, yarshamani, and love. Okay, so if you ladies would be kind enough, yeah, to take out the sheets from last time. On Thursday. Again, 
There's no other power in the world. He is everything. Nothing, there's nothing aside from him. Also, all of creation is really unified as one reality. Everything from humans all the way down to even those inanimate objects. We're all part of the same creation and we all come from the same creator. In all of creation, there is a true unity. The earth and everything on it. The seas and all the depths. All of the animals in the oceans, etc. Everything is one. They're all life forces from God. He gives everybody and everything life. So what is the example that he gives here? We all know that we are made up of 248 uh, bones, right? Or 365 sinews, whatever that is. Um, you know, veins and stuff like that. Um, or think about a hand, a hand that has five fingers. Okay, you see the hand that has five fingers. Okay. Right, what's gonna happen if I look at my hand? Okay, and I I just look at the top part, right? And I see five fingers that all look separate from each other, correct? Everything looks separate from each other. So if I'm looking at it from that very superficial perspective, it looks like they're all separate. But if I'm looking at it from a, a more logical perspective, right, I see that they're all really attached to the same piece, right? They're all attached to my hand. Those two, it is with a Jew who believe in the unity of God. So, so when you're walking out, you know, you're walking out in the world and you see things again, everything looks distinct. Everything looks separate, right? Just like I look at my fingers and each one looks separate. But he said a person who's thinking properly and really understands, really realizes and knows that it all, everything is really emanating from the same place. It's all coming from the same source. Even... The, the the source of what he calls the pripot, which is a very uh, mystical idea of like the, the peels, right? The, the, the negative forces, okay? Like the Sitra Akra, like the Yusahara, et cetera. If they all are nursed, so to speak, they all get their nourishment and they all get their ability to exist only from God. This is something you'll learn in Elul, so those of you who might still be here then. Just know, anytime a person is going to sin, okay, who is giving you the ability and the energy at that moment to do that sin? No, Hashem. Meaning, what would happen if he stopped giving you energy at that moment? If he stopped your heart from beating at that moment? Good night, right? Bye. Nice knowing you, right? It would be over. Okay, so, I mean, this is, uh, he's taking it a little bit out of context. And we'll talk about this in Elo, okay? But the idea is, is that even while a person is in the middle of doing a sin, Hashem is giving that 
person the ability to do that negative thing. It's not a separate entity. It's all coming from Hashem. Hashem could stop. He could stop and say, sorry, I'm not allowing you to do that, right? He can stop your tongue from talking. He can stop your legs from moving, but he doesn't do that. Why he doesn't do that, again, that's a whole other story, which we're not going to get into now. And a person is sinning with those powers, with that energy, he doesn't stop him at all. But God tolerates humility. Uh, sorry. He tolerates um, being uh, humiliated, that's what I'm looking for, in order to give us the uh, the energy to do what it is that we want to do, and he gives us free choice, etc., etc. So we'll do tshuva, all that stuff. But that's not what we're talking about now. For right now, just to understand that nothing can happen, and no, there's no negative forces. Nothing exists outside of, of God. Okay, so I just wanted to show you that um, inside. Okay, so now that we understand that the Sahara really works for God, right? So how are we supposed to fight with? What are we supposed to do with the Sahara? What is our perspective supposed to be? So there's the Gemara in Brachot, which you see on that first page that we just looked at on the bottom. Okay, so this is the Gemara in Brachot. And the Gemara says it's possible. As, as follows. I don't want to say. So the Gemara says it's follows. Yargi Amarabi Levi Brachama Amarabi Shimon de Makish la Olam Yargit Adam Yesartov al Yisahara. Shane Amar Rigdu al Tahatu. So actually, I'm going to put right on the board. You should recognize if anybody who says Kriyat Shema before they go to bed might recognize this. Rigdu. Does this ring any bells to anybody? Anyone recognize this? What is it Anybody who wants to preach Malami, so this is actually how it ends. Point says Malam, it actually ends with this pasuk. Okay, and the the Gemara Brachos is using this really as a formula. Okay, for what we are meant to do when we are in the heat of battle with the Yisachar. Okay, so he makes a couple of suggestions. So Rigzuba al Tachatu. What is the first thing that we're supposed to do? So he talks about the fact that we're supposed to pit our Yisachar told against our Yisachar. Meaning, make your Yisachar told. What does Rigzu mean? Roges is anger. Okay, make angry. What are you, who are you making angry? Your yeats are told. Your yeats are told is just like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to do this to me? Get away from me. You can't, you can't get me to go down that road, right? Get your yeats are told like riled up, okay? Against the Yisahara. Again, remembering what we said, that the Yisahara is not a separate entity. It's there really ultimately to help us be successful. Okay, and we really want to twin as much as we do, but we want to pit the Yisrael against the Yisrael. So he says, if, if that works, great, but if that doesn't work, what's the next option? Okay, means that we should learn Torah. What happens when we learn Torah? Hopefully, okay, when you learn Torah, you have knowledge, you have understanding, and you have a vision of like what I want to accomplish in my life, okay? And it keeps us in perspective, okay? And I understand that if I'm going to give into my Yisahara, then what I really want to accomplish in my life, I'm not going to be able to do, right? It's going to take me off track. So the Torah kind of keeps us on track. That's what learning Torah does. So he says, 
if that helps you be successful, perfect. The in love. So then what's the next option? The Amish Kafka. You should be Kriyatma, right? You should be Kriyatma. Because what is Kriyatma, which is what we're talking about, really? We'll talk more about it actually at the end, in, a, in a few more minutes. Um, again, remind me, Hashem Echad. I'm focusing on this idea. Hashem Echad, wait a minute. Biye Sahara does not have any power of his own. He's just trying to get me off track. I'm not going to let him do that. Okay, it's reiterating that idea for you. Focusing on the concept of Hashem Echad. You have to remind yourself of that reality. Okay, and then he goes on to say, if that works, beautiful. The imlav, okay, so now we have to go to the more morbid aspect. The domu sela, what does domu mean? Domain, like, domu means what? No, that's domain. Oh, okay, this is domu. Dom, saidom aharon. Anybody remember when your son died in laidom aharon? He was silent. Okay, the domu sela. Talking about when are we all silent? Exactly, sorry. After 120, right, when a person dies, the domusela, it's over. Meaning what? If all else fails, think about the day of death. Anybody, I don't, I don't, might sound very morbid. Anybody ever think about, like, how will you be eulogized one day? Like, what are they going to say about me? I know this sounds crazy, but what? You never thought about that? Okay. Um, I, sometimes if you go to a funeral, and I imagine it's a natural thing to sort of pop into your head. Like, what would they say about me? You know, like, if, if, if I were in this situation. Um, and, and that kind of should give us a little bit of a kick in the pants, right? Are they going to say about me the things like that I really live, like want to live for, my, my, my values, my morals, right? What I really want to accomplish, how great I was and how much I was able to do, or am I, they're going to talk about like what a volatile I was, you know, how much I did stuff that wasn't great or whatever. Okay. It's, again, it's just supposed to kind of keep us on track. Okay. So that's, that's one possible etza. Okay. These are some ideas of what we can do as Bima Bima an idea, a piece of advice. Another piece of advice is actually comes from the H. Kodesh, from the Piyazatsi Rebbe. He actually says that you should distract yourself. Like, anybody ever deal with a tantruming child? You might have babysat or you have a sibling or whatever. Okay? A tantruming child? Never felt tantrum screaming, yelling, I love them. Okay. What is the first rule of a tantruming child? What are you not supposed to do? Don't give in, okay? Mm -hmm. Write this down, ladies. Remember, do not give in, okay? Because what's going to happen if you give in when a child screams and yells? Then they know this is what I need to do to get what I want, and then you will never have peace and quiet and silence in your life, and it's really not okay. Um, so we have the opportunity to kind of do the same thing here with the Yitzhahara, right? The Yitzhahara is like, please, Liz, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it, right? And what do we do, okay? We're not giving in to that tantruming child. We're going to say, no, you know what? What are you supposed to do with a tantruming child? Don't give in, but what's the best thing to do? To distract them, right? Oh, look at this. Would you like a snack, right? Or maybe you want, oh, look at that bird, you know? You totally distract them and you hopefully they get totally off track, okay? And they forget about it. So when the Yitzhahara is like, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it. Say Yitzhahara, you know what? I'll do it later, okay? Right now I'm gonna do something else, right? I'll do it in an hour. I'll do it in an hour. And what happens when an hour comes a lot of times? Whatever, either you know the desire dissipates because you didn't give into it right away, or a lot of times you'll say, Well, I didn't eat that piece of cake for an hour. Let's see if I could go another hour. You know what I mean? And it kind of motivates you to keep pushing the limits a little bit. Okay, so that's another potential piece of advice. Okay, so again, these are just some ideas, um, kind of almost as an aside, if you can tell you. But once we understand that the A Sahara really is part of our team, these are some of the things we can do to try to get him in check and to try to help us hopefully be successful, okay? Yichar Hashem, though, is also 
something else. Okay, it also is, and this I, definitely impacted me when I learned this, it allows us to, to understand that all of the things that happen to us in our daily life, okay, God forbid illness, or your car breaks down, or you miss the bus, or you wake up and you have a sore throat, it's things that happen in our day-to-day -day life, right? We have inconveniences in our day-to-day -day life, right? Your shower is cold, it's not working. I'm trying to think of what happens in the dorm. I don't know. The bridge is broken. The dryer is not working and your clothing comes out smelling like mildew, whatever. Okay. All the possible options of things that happen in our day-to-day -day life. Okay. So what do we tend to look, how do we tend to view those things, right? We tend to view those things as distractions. Like, oh, but I'm on my way to school, right? I was meant to go and learn and whatever, or I'm on my way to a shir, I'm on the way to do chesed, right? And what happened? This got in my way. And now, now it, it took me off track and now I can't do what I really wanted to do. Okay, that is not Aksat Hashem. Let me ask you, what would be an Aksat Hashem way of viewing those kinds of things that happen in your day-to-day -day life? This is also from Hashem. Right, and what am I meant to do with this? Accept it. Accept it and think to yourself, we've talked about this a little bit. How does God want me to serve him from this place right now? Okay, I'm standing in my laundry room. I, uh, there's a flood on the floor, whatever. Fill in the blanks, ladies. We all have our stories, okay? To just scream and yell and be like, oh, I can't believe it's happening to me. It's so frigid and so annoying, which is like probably how most of us would react, understandably so. But an Aksas Hashem way of viewing it is this is clearly the rush of Hashem. This is where he wants me to be right now, right? I did not sign up for that. I did not choose that. This is where he wants me to be. How can I choose? How can I serve God from this place? What could it be that he wants me to achieve in this moment, in this place? That I'm in right now. Okay, so realizing and understanding that these situations are really opportunities for growth. They're not there to irritate you and frustrate you. They're there to help you be more expansive, right? To help you to grow. And that's really, um, I think, a very, very important way to, to view, okay, these things that happen to us in our life. Okay, and to this end, it's very, very, very important for us to be flexible, okay? Um, some people by nature are more flexible than others. And you know, there are those people that walk around with their planners, right? And everything's planned out in their planners. And if you happen to be something like, oh, I have to look at my planner. No, I'm sorry, I can't do this right now. Which on the one hand is good, right? It's good to get yourself into the mode of like being organized and structured. That's the concept of stay there, right? You've all heard that here before, right? Not just something that happens on Pesach. The idea of stay there is being organized and structured. But on the other hand, we have to still have a certain level of flexibility, okay? Because again, if I am so rigid, then as soon as things go off track right away, okay, it's over, right? I'm just going to lose my mind. I'm going to get very flustered and I'm not going to know what to do. We want to aim to be like Mrs. GPS woman, okay, right? What happens when you go off course? What does she yeah. say? Yeah. Recalculating route in a very calm, collective way. Right? <laughs> I always wish that you could just be like that too and figure yeah. it out. Okay, so actually Revolver itself says, that the barometer of somebody who is a truly misudar person is how do they react in a situation when they're thrown off, right? A, a truly misudar person, and what does that mean that they're truly misudar? Who is at the center of their universe? God, okay? Because what's the difference if I'm at the center of the universe or God is at the center of the universe, right? If I'm at the center of the universe, then when a wrench gets thrown into my plans, what am I going to do? I'm going to tantrum, like that two-year-old child, okay? But if God is at the center, then I'm not going to tantrum, because what am I going to say at that moment? 
okay, I thought that I was going, you know, to a school, but apparently I am not going to school. Apparently I'm going to Karim or whatever. Okay, so okay. And, and how am I gonna now recalculate my route? How am I now gonna get myself back on track? Okay, because I'm flexible. And if this is where God wants me to be right now, this is where God wants me to be right now. And I'm going to be 100% in tune with that. Okay, so I don't know, to me, that's like an unbelievably important uh, understanding of this concept of Yichad Hashem. And also to, again, to sort of just hammer this idea home, to, to realize that whether we're talking about spiritual activities like sitting and learning Torah or davening, or even our daily activities of sitting and eating, right? Doing our laundry, cooking, you know, going shopping, all of those things. Those all have to be included in this area of Yichad Hashem. It's all part of the process, okay? Why did I have a women's health day here, right? You weren't sitting and shagging and learning Torah all day, but you know what? That's also Torah, right? Taking care of yourself, understanding that we have a body that we're supposed to take care of and it's it's there to clothe our, our neshama, right? To understand how I can grow spiritually. All that is part, it also falls under the guise of Torah, okay? It's all Yichon If I view my eating and all the other physical things that I do as Torah, then I'm never really distracted from serving God because I see everything that I do as an opportunity to connect to him and to serve him and to do it in the most amazing way possible. Okay, and if we live this way, this will ultimately allow us to really have no fear, right? We say in Havdalah, uh, in Havdalah, what's the rest of that sentence? Below Evchad. What is Evtach, right? I'm going to have Bitachon. Below Evchad, I'm not going to be afraid. What causes us to be afraid? What? Right, because what am I, what am I afraid of? Not being in control, things are going to happen that I'm not going to be comfortable with, right? Something terrible is going to happen or whatever. What am I going to do? I'm not going to be afraid because I have been and Hashem, I know everything comes from you. Things that are comfortable, things that are uncomfortable, right? It's all part of your plan. Okay, so when I have that mentality, it makes it a little bit easier for me, right? To manage through my day, through my life and not to freak out. Okay, so what I want to just discuss with you for a few minutes. Yeah. Oh, I, I just wanted to add, I was listening to the science podcast recently, and it, the scientist person said that all fear and all anxiety stuff come from either feelings of not being enough or not feeling in control. And so interesting that specifically learned and reminding yourself, like, Hashem, maybe I write down, I am enough. And then, like, you're not in control, Hashem is in control, but someone is in control. Right. And that can help identify the Beautiful. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Well, again, that's part of what we spoke about last time. There is an element of doing. We have to put in Mishnava, right? We have to put in our effort. But the effort that we're putting in Adina is always with the understanding that the success or lack of success of this effort is not up to me. It's completely up to God. So I know that he told me to do, you know, my Mishnava, so I have to. But I really know that in the end of the day, it's all up to him, right? We're not supposed to sit on the couch with our feet up and be like, well, if God wants me to have money, he'll just drop it on my head. Like, <laughs> That's not how we live our life. That's not how we're meant to live our life. Okay, so yeah. Quick question. Yichud Hashem, like Hazar Hashem. No, not unity. Unity. From the word Echad, which means one. Okay, it means the oneness of God. Everything is part of the plan. Everything is part of God's plan. The part of Him. There's nothing that's pulled outside of that purview. But what did you say was the name of God? But you said the name of God person? Rav Shlomo Volbach. In English, it's spelled W-O-L-B-E, but it's pronounced, well, in, in Hebrew, it's Vav 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 Vav
okay or all he was not a Israel, he's not saying. Anyway, okay, let's talk for a few minutes about Shema. Okay, this is something that a lot of us do either once a day or maybe multiple times a day, okay, that we say Shema. What exactly is it that we're supposed to be having in mind? Okay, so we talked about the idea of all Malchut Shemai, right? I wrote it out for you on the board. Can I erase this? Is that okay? Okay, so we said Okay, just we have that in front of us. But remember, we said this is all the word Shema. Okay, that we're taking upon ourselves the yoke of. God, or whatever, or the heavens. What does that mean exactly? So again, you know, I'm sure there are many ways of understanding this, um, but what I want to focus on now is is the is actually from Rav Shmuel Levitz, who is the Rosh Hashiva Vimir, who said that it means accepting God's will without making cheshbonot, without calculation. Okay, that's what Olam Chutzamayim means. Like I said, if this is what God wants me to do, if this is where He wants me to be, so be it. Okay, that is what it means to be. Have, take upon myself the concept of Omar Hoshamayim. Okay? Um, and certainly, you know, as we said, it's, you know, accepting Hashem's existence and his oneness and his sovereignty over the whole world. That is clear. Obviously, that is what we're saying when we're saying Shemayim Israel. But again, on a practical level, having in mind that whatever his will is, is that is, is what I'm going to take upon myself and that's going to be fine. Okay? Um, there's a Medrash Rabbah that says the following. says, person has to be with Why? Because when he says Kriyachima, it says though he's bringing all the different possible sacrifices that a person can bring. Why is that? Right? What is a person accomplishing when they're bringing a carbon? Right? What do they have in mind when they bring a carbon generally? When they bring a sacrifice? Okay, but. Yeah, because it comes from the word karo, right? But I'm bringing this chicken. I'm bringing this this sheep, okay? And this sheep is getting slaughtered. Who should really be slaughtered, right? Meaning, exactly. Meaning, symbolically, I'm offering this animal instead of giving my own life, okay? So here, again, it's this idea of being accepting upon myself, okay? I'm accepting upon myself the fact that, Hashem, I'm literally giving my life over to you. Okay, I'm living my life, as we said, Al-Kiddush Hashem, I'm living my life to do your Ratzon. Okay, and, and if I need to give my life, Al-Kiddush Hashem, I will be willing to do that also. Okay, that's what Olam Al-Kiddush is. Hopefully living Al-Kiddush Hashem, God forbid if we have to, dying Al-Kiddush Hashem, but saying, Hashem, my life is really yours, right? And I'm here really to serve you. Okay, um, in the Zohar HaChadash, it actually says a very interesting idea, which I think is nice to, for us to keep in mind. He says that saying Kriyat Shema properly is really like a remedy for people who have any doubts, um, you know, regarding Hashem's existence. You know, if you're like, is Torah really from God, you know, or, you know, does God really exist? You know, we all have that sometimes we ask those questions. He says saying Kriyat Shema is actually a remedy for that. You know, sometimes you have a headache, you think of Tylenol, right? You have issues with... God's existence, you're sort of questioning, you're not sure. Don't just say it, but think about what you're actually saying. And the Zohar Chadar says that that can really serve as a cure for the soul. It helps to recharge us, it helps to refocus us on what the reality is. 
Um, now, what's interesting, if you notice in the Pasuk in the Torah, so the ayin is written big and the dalit is written big, right? You know, have you ever noticed? Anybody ever noticed that? Okay, um, I'm just gonna, this is how the dalit, this is, you know, in the, not in the script, but in print, this is how you write a dalit, which is an important idea, okay? Because, um, the idea here basically is, is that Rav Hirsch points out that if, if, you, if the Dalit, if you, if you, the goal is not to look at it like this, right? The race is rounded, okay? And he said that when the, the rounded idea kind of, it, it, it hints to like being very accommodating and just kind of like kind of going with the flow. And he said it's very sharp and angular. Okay, and he said, in order for a person to really stay on track, these concepts that we are talking about have to be very sharp, very understood. There's no wavering outside of this, outside of the box. Okay, because once you get rounded, right, you know, like you get so, <laughs> I, I love this phrase. I, a teacher of mine used to quote her father, I told this I'll say, you know, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out, you know? <laughs> so like, sometimes, you know, we get so rounded, it's just like, oh, fine, whatever. No, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, maybe he is in charge, maybe he's not in charge, maybe he is watching over, maybe he's not watching over, I don't know what, some say yes, some say no. No, it has to be this Dalit, okay? And that's what the Dalit is teaching us. It has to be sharp and angular and clear, okay? You can't waver from that. It's very important that that always stays sharp in your mind, okay? He also suggests that the ayin, the stress on the ayin, right? What does the word ayin mean? An eye, okay? Which is an amazing idea because the truth is he's saying, don't just believe this. We saw this, right? The whole Jewish people, all the Jewish nation, everyone, all of our ancestors, everyone was there. They all saw God at Har Sinai giving the Torah. Okay, we were all witnesses to this event. So it's not just a matter of believing, it's a matter of seeing, right? We all thought we were all there. Okay, and so when we, what? The ayin at the beginning. The ayin of the Shema is big, okay? And the Dalin at the end of the Chad is big, okay? So the ayin at the beginning is just reminding us that we were all there, we all were eyewitnesses, we all saw this as a member of the Jewish people. We were, and by the way, what is the word ayin Dalin? Means not add, aid, a witness. Okay, we all bore testimony to the fact that we got the Torah, that Hashem is one. Hashem said the first two, right? There are those who say Hashem said the first two Zibros, right? He said the first Anochi Hashem and Mohiyah, the Jewish whatever that is. We were all there, we all saw this. Okay, and um, so the last point uh, that I want to just mention before we move on to the next mitzvah. Um, is that again having in mind when you're saying Kriyachma is an opportunity? It's like it's almost a, a prayer inside of a prayer, right? To Daven that anywhere that you're challenged in your Amunah, this is an opportunity for you to have in mind that Hashem should help you just get clarity about it. I want to turn on the air. Is that working? I want to turn on the air? Today, I was like, forget it, we're in trouble. Everyone's going to be asleep eating potatoes and pasta. Like, I'm done. Like, why, why am I even bothered? Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, who said that it was 11? Um, the truth is, I 
I don't even know where to start actually. So this is from a per like what I said before from a Persian. I'm not actually sure if this is from the same uh from the same place. It must be actually wrote it together. So yeah, it must be from a Persian said the same thing. That uh, yeah, he said the dollar in the eye for sure. Okay, but again, to have in mind when you're davening, okay. Don't just say words, ladies. It's not just about saying words and it's magical. We all understand that, okay? That's what a segula is, where I think I'm just gonna say things or do things and it's just magic. It's not magic. But the idea here is to really try to have in mind, when I'm saying, if I believe it and I'm on board, yes, I say it with enthusiasm and excitement. And if I'm not on board and I'm struggling, say, Hashem, please help me understand this. Help me see this. Help me feel this. Help me integrate this. This is a real opportunity for us to have it. Yeah. Question. So the dollar means that it will be sharp and on point and not not wavering, not being too. Look, we have to be flexible in some areas, yeah. but when it comes to emuna b'Hashem, we're not flexible. When it comes to believing that God is the actus of Hashem, there's no flexibility. We have to believe it. There's no. You can't. You can't start like questioning. What was, what was the word that you used? Angular, sharp okay. and angular. Okay. Yeah, this is, yeah, I mean, there's ways of pronouncing it properly. I'm not going into that. I Some say you're supposed to lean it as though you're reading it from the Torah, which I don't know how to do personally. Um, anyway, okay, we're going to go now and move on to the next mitzvah of Avat Hashem. Anybody have any other questions? Yeah. The actual, saying like this has to be fact this is not like a nice statement this is this is the tenet the basis of all of your beliefs throughout the ages this is it believing again imagine the person you know who is in the inquisition right and they're in a situation where they're where they're being asked to give their life for god right at that point you know it's, it, i imagine it's difficult for a person to stay on point hashem what are you doing what what do you mean like don't you want me to be alive right we talked about this idea so Everybody has? Okay. You don't have? Oh, there was, I'm sorry, there was this one copy was, was uh, it had been stapled together and it was a part. There were two, there's, it's one page back to back. If someone only has one page without a back, this is the other page. Sorry. Does everybody have a page back to back? Okay. Anyway. So Moshe is just basically saying, this is what's going to get you through. This is what's going to get you through all the persecution. This is, this, this is what's going to get you through all the, the darkness and the lies and the craziness. This too is coming from God. I'm telling you, it's the only thing that gets me through every day. I, I can't like, you know, listening to the insanity that's going on. You know what I mean? With, with all the craziness. Whatever, I don't want to get too political, but like, you know, the fact that the, that people can believe this is the stupidity. It's like, this is clearly from God, right? What other court of law in the world would take, you know, uh, no evidence and say, yeah, the Israelis did it without getting any evidence. We don't have the bullet. We don't have No, they did it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, are you insane? No other court would ever accept that. The fact that the world falls for this, it's just insanity. It's mint to shemayim. Like, there's no other way to describe it. It makes no sense that anything else is possible. You understand? It's something bad. 
Yes, that's the point. This is from God. There is no question that this is coming from Hashem. Why is this happening? I have no idea. What does he want us to learn from this? I'm not really sure. But the bottom line is, is that this is clearly Minashamayim. There's nothing else at play here. They don't have their own, their, their own power. You know what I'm saying? God is what's giving them power too. I'm talking about other stuff like going to cancer. Like 100%. We have to believe that everything comes from Hashem. There's nothing random. It doesn't have nothing random. Okay? We don't believe in random. Yeah. Does this mean that uh, then all of this Hazara work and you trying to break down with a specific example, trying to explain to the world that there's nothing just. It's what? It's like for nothing. Of course it's, it's for nothing. Whatever. We can talk here a lot about politics, and I'm probably going to say things that are going to upset people. So I'm not going to get into it, but why do we have to defend ourselves? You know what I'm saying? Like, why, why, why do we have to defend ourselves? You know what I'm saying? You have a person who's in the middle of a war zone, okay? She knows when she's going into Janine in the middle of a battle that she can get killed. If she's taking that chance, who cares if she, who killed her? It was an accident. No, 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 I understand that. I'm just saying, is there a point in us trying to make this point known to the world? No, not? because. They don't care what we have to say. Like, there's nothing that we're going to say that's going to change anyone's okay. mind it, because it's so it's so irrational and illogical that it doesn't. There's nothing that we're going to say that's going to make a difference. You either believe us or you don't believe us. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to convince you with all my logic because none of it is coming from a place of logic. It's all emotion. When you're talking to someone who's purely emotional, there's no way to discuss logic mm -hmm. with them. You understand? Yeah. Um, so. Um but even though I understand everything from Hashem, I still should fight for Meaning, whether it's cancer. hundred percent. Yes, we said we have to put in our shabbat. We have to try to, we have to try to, you know, get better. But remember what we said. Remember what we said. You have to try to get better, but don't get so caught up in the illness that you forget where it's coming from. That you forget that there's also a purpose here to what I'm going through. Right? Because it's very easy to just get sucked into the difficulty that we're experiencing and forgetting the fact that God made this happen for a reason. Why is this happening? We have to go through that process too. There has to be a spiritual and an emotional process that's going on as well and not just physical. But yes, we are obviously obligated, obligated to do the best that we can to try to, to try to heal. Okay, so let's move on now to the next mitzvah of Ahavat Hashem, loving God. Okay, so the first three mitzvot, remember, which is about not having any other gods, and which is about the unity of God. That's really about intellectually understanding God's existence. Okay, the next three mitzvot that we're going to be learning is now how can I have a relationship with this existence, right? I believe now intellectually in this existence. Now I want to have a relationship with this existence. And that's the next thing this book are really all about. Okay, so let's just start by looking at uh, the Sikra Chinuch. I do have a few in English, but if you don't mind, I find, I, I find it easier to read the Hebrew and to just explain it. it. It's more meaningful to me personally, so bear with me, but you're welcome to read along with me and look in the, in the English. You can correct me if I'm saying something wrong. Okay? And this is also from Kriyat Shema, by the way. So this is also coming from Kriyat Shema. You just have one page over there, or you have Okay. So we are obligated to love God. It says, love your, love Hashem, your God. What are we supposed to do here? We need to think about, we need to contemplate God's commandments and everything that he asks us to do according to our abilities. 
We have to take delight in God's providence in our lives to the, to the best of our ability, okay? With, with an unbelievable amount of pleasure, right? Remember, we talked about this when we talked about Anochi Hashem, right? We said the Chobot HaLavala said one of the things that is amazing about God that no one can actually ever do, right? Is that God, he, God is, part, is, is, is so invested in our life and he sees everything that happens to us. And he's on top of everything that happens to us. Nobody else can do that, right? Nobody else can protect us like God can, okay? So to, to delight in the hashkafa that we have in our life and all of us have hashkafa practice. And we can all tell at least 10 stories, right? Where we saw serious hashkafa practice in our life, even though there's really hashkafa in every minute of our life. But where we, it really stood out, we can definitely do that. And those, those situations should help us remind us that God is really with us all the time. This is the essential component of Ahava. We say the Ahavta, but how can a person really love God? Like, how do we apply that word to God? The words that I'm telling you now today should be on your heart. Because why? When this is on your heart, when this is something that you're thinking about, so you come to recognize the, the being, right, the God who spoke and the world came into being. So this is kind of what we spoke about even before in the other mitzvah, learning Torah, right? Learning Torah is what's going to actually um, allow us to integrate any feelings of love. Okay, because again, the Torah is so vast, the Torah is so incredible. And when we learn Torah and we see again our history, how Hashem is with us, and the truth is when we learn halacha and we see how um, in tune with us God really is, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, this is going to allow us to bring the, the ahava into our hearts. The and so we are told that this love is going to obligate a person. Okay, to want to sit and serve him, right? Meaning, God does so much for me. What can I possibly do for him, right? What am I going to bring him flowers, right? There's nothing I could actually do for him. So what is the least I could do for him? What's the least I could do for him? Do his mitzvot. He asked me to do this. Of course I'm going to do this. So that's the least, it's the least I could do, right? We say that to a person, from, you know, God, it's the least I can do. With all the greatness and the amazing things you do for me. The Amuzikon of the I'm sorry, just said that. Um, just like we see by Abraham. Remember, he looked into the world and he saw God, and that brought him to a place of wanting to serve God. Meaning, what? A person is not going to really be able to serve God really nicely and well if he doesn't really feel any connection to him, if he doesn't love him, right? You know, somebody who you don't really like asks you to do something. At best, you do it half-heartedly, right? It's very different if somebody love asks you to do something, then of course you want to do it. So what is the laws of this mitzvah? What does it encompass? A person has to put all of their thoughts and all of their goals and aims on loving God. He has to value him in his heart always. Everything in the world from wealth, to children, to authority, to honor. It's all zero, nothing compared to the amount of love that God has 
for us. And we want to toil as much as we possibly can to try to attain the wisdom again, ladies, not to just emotionally believe, like feel this, but to intellectually understand this, right? Hopefully part of loving someone isn't, it's dangerous if it's just emotional, right? People get sucked into things that are not usually good, right? You get sucked into a relationship with someone who might not be in for you, they're not appropriate for you because you're just emotionally you know, being pulled at that moment. There has to be logic, okay, that's leading you when you're making these decisions. So he's telling us here, don't just believe me, right? Don't just jump in and say, oh yeah, I love God. Figure out ways of finding God in your life and situations and, and, and loving him, not just emotionally, but also intellectually. So a person should habituate their thoughts as much as possible in and believing in God and in his oneness, until there is not one moment in the day or the night, where he would wake up, that he doesn't remember that he loved his master with all of his heart. So he gives here like a parable. You should always think about, right? Remember the love of God. One who longs for something, right, all day long, um, they're going to succeed to bring it home, basically. Okay, when you're thinking about something all day, right, imagine you're just, I can't wait to get home. My package that I ordered from whatever is sitting at home waiting for me right now. I'm so excited. I mean, that's a very silly example, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm so excited to get home. Someone I haven't seen in such a long time is waiting for me. I'm so excited to go home. Okay, that's what's going to uh, uh, enable you to bring it home. There's a lot of other Medrashim and Gemaras that talk about this idea. And he ends off by saying, This is something that we do that is obligated both to men and to women. Somebody who transgresses this by wasting your brain space. On a, on a more consistent basis. We're not talking about, okay, once in a blue moon, right? We all are given, but kovea, meaning I have set time. Instead of having set time to sit and learn and think about God, I have set time to think and learn about other physical things all the time, okay? So a person who is kovea his machshavo, who sets his, his mind to focusing on the vanities of this world, the same shemayim for not for any hot lofty purpose, but just because they are interested in pursuing those things. Just to have pleasure in those things, but not to utilize those things to serve God. If you're thinking about physical things because you want to think about how I can use them to serve God, that's different. We're talking here just focusing on the physical things without having any other agenda. Or to try to acquire honor in this, in this very deceitful world. To raise your name up. Without having in mind to help others and to help those who need, we tell us this person is, uh, you know, he's nullifying basically this mitzvah, his, his, his punishment is going to be great. So, this is one of the mitzvot, right? The six constant mitzvot that um, is always obligated. Again, because ladies, it's a consciousness, remember, it's a consciousness that we're trying to create here. 